Kako, everyone. Welcome to the Moana Nui podcast. We are so excited to have and present this wonderful panel tonight. Uh, we have a great group of guests with us tonight to talk about the topic of code switching and being a person of color in the corporate world. Uh, tonight, we are joined by our wonderful guest, um, guest moderator, Bar Fox. And I'm always, as always, joined by my wonderful co-host, Dana. Hello, everyone. As a quick introduction for those that may or may not know me, I am Dana. I am a cosplay event and staff, uh, con staff photographer. Uh, you've seen some of my pictures with MomoCon, Dragon Con, Anime Week in Atlanta, and DC Comics, uh, to name a few. I'm also an event planner. Um, a voice actor, and much, much more. And now I'm going to hand it over to my lovely co-host, Moana. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Well, just a quick announcement before we get started. Thank you, all of our listeners who are tuning in, whether it be live and on the replay. We really appreciate your support for the Moana Nui podcast. If you would like to help us continue the show, we do have a Kickstarter campaign that is ongoing right now at MoanaNuiPodcast.com. It's also um, in the banner below. You can visit our campaign and pick up from some amazing rewards. We have books. We have podcasts episodes that you get early before it's published to everyone else we have art commissions and just so much more so be sure to check out there's a lot of ways that you can support but for tonight please just sit back relax grab your favorite drink kick your feet up and um, get ready for this wonderful conversation as we get started I will introduce our wonderful guest moderator Bar Fox. He is the founder of Cosplay Your Way, which is a great organization that represents people of color and ensuring safe spaces in the cosplay arena. Um, he has been a guest on our show before, and we're super excited to have him back tonight to moderate this panel. So we'll bring him up. Thank you, guys. Sure. I'm glad y'all had me back. I must not have messed up the last time. <laughs> Yes, yes. Welcome back. Um, so what we're going to do now is we will bring up our guests and we will let Bar take control and take over the show. And as I said, sit back, relax and enjoy. Welcome. Look at all these guests popping up. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. All right. All right today we are going to talk about something that needs to be spoken about more often. Um, code switching. And I was one of those people when I first heard the phrase that was like, well, I never code switch. I've always been authentic and always been me. But as I did more research, I saw that I too have code switched for different things in different scenarios. And it was just interesting to do a self-evaluation and break it down. So we have a very amazing panel. I read y'all profiles. I was astonished. I'm like, I want to know him. I want to know her. So I'm going to let you introduce yourselves. And we're going to start with you, Christian. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Christian O. Uh, I have been in the D.C. Metropolitan or the DMV for the past 20 some years. I am the chair of both two different film festivals in the D.C. area. One is the D.C. Shorts Film Festival, and the other one is the D.C. Asian Pacific American Film Festival. I uh, I grew up in uh, 
Ames, Iowa, Cleveland, Ohio, and Roanoke, Virginia. So when we get into code switching, I didn't even know I was doing it until much later in life. But I definitely can resonate with um, what I call, it's almost like a uh, a chameleon where you have to sort of change your colors per se. Terrible pun there, but um, understanding that you are sort of trying to adapt to the situation, the environment or whatever it is. But yeah, so I'm... Uh, I'm very big into anime as well. I'm, I'm glad to meet fellow uh, anime lovers, and uh, I didn't realize that all of you guys were, or some of you were into cosplay, so I'm very excited about that. But I know the focus is going to be on code switching, so I'll keep it to that. And again, thank you for having me. You're welcome. And next, Rosa. Hi, my name is Rosa Singletary. I am a native Washingtonian, um, born and raised here in the District of Columbia, I went to college in D.C. as well. Um, I went to George Washington University. I'm an engineer by trade, and I still do systems engineering, meaning basically I sit around and advise other people on how they should manage their programs and what they should do. Um, I do a lot of volunteer work in the district with the, within the school system, Um I think I'm one of those people, not I think, I'm one of those people that feel like they don't code switch, um, that feel like what you see is what you get on a daily basis. And when Moana approached me with this opportunity, I actually sat down and had a conversation with a couple of people about it. So we will get into that a little later on. But um, I think that growing up in the district, um, attending GW, working for the federal government, um, being the only female in many instances, and then the only person of color. Um, I, For whatever reason, I've always been like this. It, it doesn't come any differently than this. Nice. I love that. And LaToya? Hi, everybody. My name is LaToya Simmons. In the cosplay world, I, I go as royalty cosplay, and that's how Barr and I met. I'm originally from Ohio, Northeast Ohio, so uh, shout out to you, Christian. <laughs> um, I grew up about 45 minutes away from Cleveland. Then I moved to Atlanta, uh, worked uh, as a contractor down there for a long time in the sciences, and then recently moved to the DMV area. So I'm in Maryland now, um, also working for the government, too. And uh, code switching is something that I've definitely experienced my entire life. So ready to get into the conversation about it. But thanks for having me. Awesome. And Dedrin? Howdy, y'all. My name is Dedrin Sneed here in Atlanta, Georgia, originally from uh, Snow Hill, North Carolina. And um, for me, I've been a, an economist by trade for uh, for some time, worked for the American Chamber of Commerce uh, and Major League Baseball in Beijing. And uh, right now I work as director of partnerships for Skillshop Media here in Atlanta, uh, focusing on brands and esports. And, and definitely interested in this conversation as a, a devout Southerner that the idea of code switching and um, and making yourself uh, a more available or more accessible to, to folks, uh, particularly across color lines, is something that as I've grown up, obviously figured that that's kind of been ingrained and instilled in me. So I'm absolutely uh, thrilled to be on this panel and, and look forward to a great discussion as such. All right. Thank you. And Bisha. Hello, hi everyone. I am Visha Pawahi Souza. 
Um, I, I don't know, should I say, I am currently, or I'm formally, let me start with that. I am formally in a, I formally worked with addiction medicine for 16 years. Um, I no longer work with addiction medicine. I will be joining, uh, UBC Vancouver as a PhD candidate in the fall. Uh, my topics will be race, gender, sexuality, and social justice. So this topic, when Moana asked me to be part of it, um, was something that was right up my alley. I have lived in Kentucky majority of my life, so I probably sound super country. <laughs> However, I am Kanaka Maole, which is Native Hawaiian and Portuguese. I'm originally from Kailua, Hawaii, and very, very proud to be Kanaka. Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm proud of you all. All right, we're about to get into this. So code switching is changing up social behaviors, language, and appearance to assimilate to the norms at large. So let's just jump right into it. Why do you think we code switch? Is it by choice, force, or survival? So let's start with you, Latoya. You know, chime in. What do you think code switch mm-hmm. is for you or, or for other people around you? What is it about? Or why? Um, uh, for me, code switching has to do with all three things that you just mentioned. Mentioned um, survival. Um, it is partly fitting in. In some cases, it's a choice, and in some cases, if you want to move ahead in certain arenas or you want to be accepted in certain groups, um, it's really not an option. It's it's sort of the norm or sort of the unspoken mandatory rule. Um, but for co- code switching, for me, is um, in some cases, like sounding one way in one situation, whether it's around the people that you're comfortable with, like family or friends, and then also in another situation, such as a work environment or a professional environment, sounding or speaking or behaving, even body language-wise, um, another way in order to be accepted and um, in order to try to move forward, whether it's conversations forward or your career forward. Okay. That's what it is to me, at least. <laughs> okay, so Rosa, yeah. I love... I love that you said you just don't code switch, but do you see it? Do you notice it when you are around people? Are you like, oh, God, here comes somebody just switching up who they are? You don't even notice it? When other people do it? Yes, when Um, other people do it. I think because a lot of my interactions with people are very compartmented in their space. So there are people at work. There are people in social environments. um, And they don't necessarily mix. So what I see at, so let's say, at work, because I have social interactions with people that I work with, right? So that is part of my normal daily rhythm that, that helps me in, in my place and with a level of authenticity. And I think the honesty that comes with it gets people a little more comfortable with who I am. Um, so I, I from time to time see them do it, yeah. I'll, I'll see where folks are just not like we just had a conversation like what where's this voice coming from <laughs> like what are you doing or they'll just be like oh well I can't talk like that around whomever and I'm like why like we just had this whole conversation and watch me break it down for you because this is this is what they're gonna get from me so I think um part of my journey has just been that I have been fortunate enough to be in places and in situations where that have allowed me to be just me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I meet people in social settings, I'm always like this, like how I'm talking to you all, how I'm inter 
I'm always like this. So whether I'm always on or or what it is, but it's not an exhausting thing. Right. So I heard code switching the first time when someone told me, oh, my daughter does this at school and she's so exhausted by the end of the day and these interactions. And I'm like, wow, that's sad. Like, what is really going on that she feels like she can't be who she really is? Like, you have to put all of this energy into being somebody that you're not. Um, and I personally think that that hinders some of these authentic relationships that could naturally happen, especially in the workplace. So we do have to make ourselves available in that sense that we're just authentic. Um, and it's just I've I've. Like I said, I'm fortunate that I've been in just very um, embracing places, even in the federal government, where people were just like, oh, you know, that's Rosa. Here she wow. is. You know, and when people first meet me, they'll just be like, oh, here's trouble. And I was like, wait, y'all just met me. Like, I'm confused. How did I get to be trouble all like that? <laughs> it's just this 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 air and this persona that I cannot I can't describe. It just comes with who I am. Um, so. That's I, I, yeah. <laughs> that's that's absolutely beautiful. When you can just walk your walk, and people allow you to do that, and they agree with that, or if they don't agree with that, with that, they leave you alone. It's just a wonderful thing. Right. Uh, what and I'm, I'm not going to say that everybody agrees with it, right? So right. some people love it, and some people don't. So it's just a matter of how you operate in that space with the people that don't. And a lot of times it's because they feel a kind of way about me. Mm -hmm. So what I love about this panel is that we have some people that are really in corporate and then we have a lot of creatives. And a lot of times, because I work in creative in a creative field as well, so we kind of have a little leniency sometimes. But we also end up code switching or changing ourselves up as we rise higher in our careers or have to meet with executives depending on what we're doing. So Christian, my question for you is, um, do you or have you code switched and when did you recognize that you were and in what situations caused you to code switch? Um, that's a great question, but let me piggyback off of something that Rosa said, because first of all, I commend her and I'm jealous that she's been able to <laughs> She's been able to be her natural self. But here's the problem, and here's the issue. What is your natural self if it's a product of your environment? So let me give you a little bit of insight within my upbringing. My parents, my father brought us to Ames, Iowa. He did not speak any English, and he was the only Asian at a doctoral program at Iowa State University. So the only Asian in an all-white university, and they and and let's face it, even they were trying to bring international students because they wanted the money, but more importantly, they're like, oh, we need to be diverse. So the first Asian student that they bring for their doctoral program is from South Korea. So my father got ridiculed. He got picked on by not just the I mean, you would think graduate students would be a bit more, I would say, elevated, but they're not because they see racial differences. And so he had a lot of a lot of bad experiences there. And so he, in turn, told me growing up, OK, Christian, you are not going to speak Korean in the house. You're going to learn perfect English because I don't want anyone ever to make fun of your accent. That was the code that he sort of forced on me. And that's not mm -hmm. my 
I mean, because I'm Asian, obviously, but that's not my code, right? My real code would be to be Asian. But he's like, no, I don't want you to perp- I want you to talk with a perfect accent. I never want anyone to make fun of you. So we didn't make a we didn't make a better environment. We moved from Ames, Iowa to Cleveland, Ohio. And again, I was the only Asian kid in a class of 500 students. And then from there and, and let's face it, predominantly African-American class. Right. Very few whites. It was all black. Then I moved to Roanoke, Virginia, and that was when my, I guess my formative years, my um, junior junior school and middle school, I mean high school, and I had no Asian friends. It was either black kids on one side of the cafeteria, white kids on the other side of the cafeteria, and I had friends that were both. So my friend D, D Houston, I still remember his name, and Duke Smith, a white guy, they never wanted to sit together. So when I came into lunch, it's like Duke would raise his hand, like, come over here. D would be like, come over here. I was like, which way do I go today? And so my code was never unique. I had to, I had to either adapt to one side or the other. And I think to answer your question, because I, I wanted to give you the background, but I've been in, not just in the nonprofit sector, that's my Superman, but my Clark Kent, I've been in the government for 15 years at the State Department, and then I got into IT. I worked for a cloud company, and again, the depending upon which groups in the government, the State Department, again, it was predominantly white. There were pockets of diversity, and because I had been raised both in a black environment and a white environment, I didn't know I was doing it, you know, instinctively, but I was. And it was like it became so comfortable for me to code switch. It just felt natural because if I was with black employees and I hate to use the term, but I would act more black. If I was with white employees, I would, you know, change my my cadence, my my words to fit that because it's how they perceive you. Right. Because I'm Asian and there were no other Asians to hang out with. They perceive you one way or the other. And then when I got into, I'm in a, I'm, I mean, currently I'm a principal technical trainer and I train people every day on IT stuff. But my company, as much as they say they, they are diverse and all this, there are very few Asians in that, in that company. And again, I have friends who are black. I have friends who are white and it just comes out instinctively. My brother who didn't have that kind of diversity, he says he has a affinity and the word affinity meaning he's able to sort of relate to white southern almost redneck people because he has a southern drawl that comes out every time i hear him he'll be talking to white friends and it's like wait a minute that sounds very southern i've lost a lot of that it'll come out every once in a while you'll hear me say guitar instead of guitar or you'll hear me say you know drawer instead of drawer that comes out but it's because of my I guess the way that it was raised and shaped. So I think code switching, the biggest problem with code switching, I think the biggest cost. I mean, you guys remember back in 2012, Obama, when he greeted, like, I think it was the NBA team or the Olympic team, he, you know, he greeted white players differently than he greeted black players, right? And then Key and Peele decided to make an SNL video about that uh, just because of the way he was code switching automatically. And that happened. So, but the, I think the biggest cost of code switching is who are you really? 
And that's why I really commend Rosa and I admire Rosa. I wish I could be, but I don't even know who that is because I didn't grow up Asian. I didn't grow up around Asians. I don't even speak Korean well or write it well. So who am I really? I'm a product of my environment. And that code is still sort of, what's the word? Sort of superfluous. It's, it's sort of, it's sort of fuzzy because it doesn't adhere to one code or the other. And I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. And, and it segues into my next statement or question. And Visha, I'll ask you, um, do you think that code switching is a skill set and can be taught as such? Because it sounds like Christian used it as a skill to make sure that he got along with as many people and made his day as comfortable as possible. But where do we draw the line with you, that's who you are or somebody watching you from the other side and saying, oh, he's so phony because he was just rolling with us this day and now he's with them. So be sure what's your thoughts on that about it being a skill set or is it something that is innate or can we hone it for good? So um, I want to first say I'm much like Rosa. What you see is what you get. Um, and so many people who know that or who know me, they know that, you know, I'm not going to code switch for you. I'm not going to talk proper for you. I'm not going to be hood for you. I am who I am. And so how it comes out of my mouth is how it comes out of my mouth. However you take it is however you take it. Do I feel like that's code switching? Absolutely not. I feel like I'm just saying what I need to say and it's coming out the way it needs to come out. Um, do I feel like it's a skill set? I have an interesting perspective on code switching. So for me, I, you know, growing up in the Midwest, everything has been on binary terms. So very black and white terms. Very rarely do people from Polynesia um, or Oceanic populations ever get included into conversations like this. And we do, um, like a, uh, like Christian said, it's usually from an AAPI perspective. So they want to group us with Asian Americans, you know, and so we're, we become something that isn't its own entity. So as far as it like being a skill set, we got to think about like the evolution of what code switching has become. The dictionary describes that as something that's linguistic, right? So there, that, that provokes an issue right there because when you think about linguistics, you have accents, you have slang languages, you have Creole languages, um, and all of those kind of things. So you can't possibly be code switching if you're being your authentic self. So like for me, when I go home and I speak pidgin English, which is a, a Creole version of Hawaiian, that's the slang. Um, I don't feel like I'm code switching. Like, that's who I really am. I am Hawaiian. So that is the language that I would naturally speak if I was there. I don't feel like that's code switching, though, because I feel like that's part of who I am. I think another thing that we need to recognize is that when we talk about code switching, um, being part of a skill set or not being a part of a skill set, I think it has a lot to do with um, the access of institutions of white supremacy. And what do I mean by that? Basically, what I mean is, again, growing up in the Midwest, um, you know, looking at things from a black white perspective, everybody is pushed into this narrative of being influenced by institutions of white supremacy. 
So institutions that have created barriers for black and brown indigenous people. Um, so when you look at code switching and you say it's a bad thing, you know, that's what you're going to hear institutions of white supremacy say. They'll say code switching is a bad thing because A, B, and C, and D, or you don't sound like us, or you don't talk like us, or you don't do this like us. And again, that's the thing. We have to think about the evolution of how um, code switching became a linguistic thing, and now it's like behavior modification. So like Christian was saying, you know, President Obama, you know, he interacted with the black players differently than he interacted with the white players. That was behavior modification. So if we're going to, like, just talk about the linguistics of it, I have a I struggle with what exactly code switching could be because we've been taught by institutions of white supremacy that it's bad if we don't sound white, if that makes sense. So is it a skill set? I can't really say yes or no because I don't look at it from that perspective. I look at it from a perspective that's from the outside looking in on a narrative that has been pushed that I'm not a part of, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Okay. I, oh, go ahead. I have to jump in there for one second because for me, or not just for me, for other people that I've met that have to sort of walk that line or the fence between whether it be black and white, between being indigenous or, or even, even sexual orientation or anything, there is definitely language and there's definitely behavior because, but there's also culture. And I think culture because I don't fit in with Koreans that I meet. Like, I went to George Washington, and I also went to George Mason. I've been to every school named George, by the way. Georgetown, George Washington, George. Um, except for university, except for Georgia, uh, I, which I, I, I want to go eventually someday. But my point is, I don't fit in with Koreans because they don't see me, whether it be behavior or language, as a part of their tribe, for, a better, for lack of a better word. And then the other thing is, I feel like, you know, I didn't know I was doing code switching until I heard the term in 2012. And I was like, wow, am I really doing this? And then it goes back to how do I define myself? Again, I, I had such, so much identity issues growing up because I hated being Korean. You know, like my mom would pack kimchi and I would go to school with kimchi and the kids would be like, what the F is that? What are you eating? And I was just like, okay, I hate kimchi. So that made me hate kimchi when I was a kid. Obviously now, as I've grown up, I love kimchi. I love Korean food. But it, it changes your, your mentality. So that code is hard to define when you're younger because you want to fit in. You want to make friends. You don't want to be bullied. You don't, you know, but then when you get into corporate world, and here's a perfect example. The Asian way of doing things when you have a problem, is to attack the problem. That's I've, I've seen it with because um, I, I worked over in Korea for a little bit, and they don't give out participation trophies. That's a very white thing to do. You know that happened in the 90s. It's like, oh, good job, you participate. And they still do that in corporate culture, where if there's a let's say you delivered, and I don't want to make any specifics, but let's say you delivered a product or, or or a class, and it was terrible, right? It was so terrible, and Yet everybody pats themselves on the back. I saw that in the government world. I saw that in the IT world. And yet I'm like, why did we lose 50% of our, 
audience on day two of the training? How come they didn't come back? And, you know, me being politically correct and diplomatic, I would say, oh, they would ask me my opinion because that's what they do. And they go, they go around patting each other on the back. And this is all white people. And I go, I think this was a discombobulated and very un- uncoordinated effort. Guess what? Later that week, I get a call from my boss and he, who's white and he goes, uh, Christian, someone made a complaint about you for being disrespectful. And I'm like, disrespectful? For what? I didn't say anybody's name. I didn't, I didn't even address the elephant in the room, which was the fact that we lost 50% of our audience. I just said the class was discombobulated and uncoordinated. But someone took offense to that. Someone said that is not the culture or the, or the way that we behave and it's all predominantly white. So I, as an Asian person thinking, oh, we need to address the problem, fix it, make it better, you know, that's not what they want. So it she, really is. So, <laughs> she, I mean, so what I'm saying is both Rosa and, and bottom line, there is definitely behavioral modification that happens more so than language, more so than language. Sorry, I had to, in, you know, put my two cents. That's all right. <laughs> okay, Jay, do I have a question yeah, for you? Oh, go ahead. Somebody's about to say something. Go ahead, Disha. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, but that goes back to my point of saying that it depends on how much access you have to institutions of white supremacy. You know what I mean? So, like, a lot of it is learned behavior. A lot of it is how you learn language. A lot of it is what you're being told and all of that. And that all comes from institutions, institutions whether it be actual institutions or just societal norms that are understood um, that are perpetuating whiteness, basically. So pretty much almost everything that you said was connected to that institutions of white supremacy. Yeah, And I'm going to just have so, to jump in on that. Like, okay. I'm the one in the room that will say what everybody else is thinking, and nobody wants to be the first person to say it. So I will give that not-so-popular feedback and folks wait for it. They be like, okay, we know Rosa going to speak up and say something. So we all know it wasn't good, but nobody wants to say that. Like, it's like they're afraid of whomever, these repercussions. But for whatever reason, I would have not gotten, I wouldn't have gotten a call from the boss. Like, they weren't going to say nothing to me. So it's just in the environments that I've been in, it's just been wonderful, apparently, from my career. Again, and I, I, I'm so glad for that. But. In other parts of corporate America, that's not always the case. You are seen, you're seen as a troublemaker because mm-hmm. I got a, I got an email from my boss's boss saying, Christian, that kind of behavior is dismissible. And I'm like, what behavior? What did I do that was so, you know, horrendous to, to warrant that? Because they, if you they don't see you as a team player that way. And they're like, if you're not a team player and you're not going to be white about it, quote, white about it, then, <laughs> Uh, then you're not going to be part of the team. So I'm it's, just saying it happens. That's why I was answering Barr's question. It happens corporate America all the time, all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Rosa, I'm on your team. I'm that person in the room that says stuff and everybody wait for Barr to say it. What happens with me usually, though, because I'm considered an influencer at work, those first year or two years, they love it. But when I go against what they like or what they want, then I get titled a problem i'm pushing people i'm demotivated so it, it just switches on me and it's been like that and i've been looking at myself trying to figure out what i need to do because as i realize 
in the beginning of my career, I did code switch for some things. I didn't code switch my personality and my culture. So it's just, I still ended up being a target. But I want to ask you, Deidre, Dedrin, I'm getting your name right, Dedrin. <laughs> I want to ask you, because somebody asked the question, um, when you found out you did code switch or you recognized that you were practicing code switching, did you stop or did you continue to do it because it was working for you? That's a good question. Um, I want to just preface that by saying for me, I felt like the opportunity to code switch was never an inherent choice that I could make. I felt like the culture and the place places that I wanted to go would have access had already predetermined what I was before I tried to code switch or not. Right. Especially when I got more into higher education and, and into and into the corporate culture, I felt like there was no switch that I could flip that was going to get me to this place. The only thing that was either going to get it was either hard work or dumb luck that was going to kind of get me from one place to the other. That said, um, the way that I grew up, uh, particularly here in the South, uh, and I think it was obviously said earlier that it was extremely binary. It was literally black and white. Right. It's uh, it's the same establishments, the same places that our parents and our grandparents and great grandparents they're the same stores. They couldn't go in the front door. You know, I'm walking in the front door as a kid. Right. And now I'm trying to have that same conversation. But again, I don't think there was any, you know, use of bilabial frickets or whatever you want to say from a, a linguistic standpoint that was going to make them see me any different. I could not speak English better. Good enough. I couldn't have enough money in my pocket. I could not change, you know, I could not be the thing that was going to really make me um, as accepted as I would have wanted to be or, or empowered to, to do the things that I felt like I really could do. So I felt like for a, lot, for a lot of my situations that the code was already predetermined, right? It was just how could I react to how I was being treated. But I definitely understand that there's opportunities for me to to use that ability or use what I think is a different persona. I think it is a skill set. I think part of it's um, it is cultural, particularly in the South, where you know we say and have great manners, even we don't mean it, right? Even we want the we want the conversation to go a certain way. We want you to feel a certain way. We want we want to uh, to be on your side, even if it's just to end the conversation, so we can go and say something behind your back. We want to go ahead and just have that set there, and I think that code switching works in a bit in that sense. Um, but to just get right back to the, uh, the point of it is I think for me, it's always been the, the opportunity that I've been who I've been, but it's definitely not from the empowerment standpoint of the, the ladies that speak to that. I think it's been because I couldn't change, right? The things that define me were just too, they were too prevalent. They were, they spoke for me before I could speak, but particularly, um, looking at the things that I'm, I'm into, which is mainly geek culture, which is technology, things that culturally when I was growing up, it defined you well past, you know, being black or being black, being rich or being poor. Um, you are just a nerd or you are just that geek. You are that guy or that gal or, or that person that, you know, you are too much of an outlier for us to even worry about trying to quantify you or we want you to go. So you're you're over there. So for me, a lot of my time simply was just trying to figure out, you know, with how I was being determined by pretty much everybody, how could I get where I wanted to go? I mean, for me, that was education. That was more so embracing 
the things that people didn't like about me and turning them into my passions and saying, this is who I am. So I think I found the ability to more highlight those parts more than say there was a, a way that I could speak or, or engage with folks. Cause just a nonsense, a lot of those folks I just never connected with. And, and I had to just take it at the time. I didn't look at it this way, but I say, say that's just going to have to be your loss. But at that time, of course, as a teenager, you want to be accepted. You want to be, you want somebody to, um, you don't want to be the butt of the joke. You don't want to be, you know, you, you want to be on the other side. And there's a cost for that. I mean, and I think code switching is not necessarily a cost, but a lot of times it's price of admission. And it's just a way that it's been a survival tactic, uh, particularly for people of color, specifically for where we are in America, because we know when we're talking about it, it was said again, you know, the institutions that we're talking about code switching towards are normally, you know, heteronormative, Eurocentric, male with money and means. So these are the, the things that we just as Americans been taught as this is where you should be going. And if you're not going in that way, then you need to adjust yourself accordingly. And I think that that's not right. But I think that inherently because we need money to survive, we need jobs, we need to go to good schools. And we know the institutions have been very specific to make that not accessible to folks, particularly folks of color and marginalized uh, opportunities and voices that we do code switch, whether that's active, passive or indifferently, that that that's just kind of the way that we've been hand been handed uh, our opportunity to converse, frankly, in the face of oppression. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that you said that you didn't even get allowed to code switch because your look, your vibe, everything was defined for you. So you didn't even have the luxury of going in there because they wouldn't allow you. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, because, again, I have lived, thankfully, a very authentic life. But um, the issue I did have that I, I wonder if some of you had was the hair. So when I was first trying to get into corporate America, um, you know, I had all this, these different hairstyles. I was doing my thing. But, um, you know, constantly told that I needed to look a certain way or my hair had to be a certain way to be accepted to even go on the interviews, to get the job. And, you know, I've had friends that continually tell me these stories. Like I had a friend who literally had cornrows but went to get a job at a Jiffy Lube or something like that and was told that his hair was unprofessional with Jiffy Lube. So I was like, wow, you know, the things we have to do. So have have any of you encountered that? I, I know Latoya has, so you can go ahead and speak to it. I definitely have. I fought it. Um, you know, I was the person that cut my hair off to get in the door. And then unfortunately after that, it was colored. It was long. It was ponytails. It was twist. <laughs> like you was going to have to fire me because of my hair. But Latoya, t- talk to that if you can. Speak to that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely have had that issue. One thing I wanted to mention is that I have a lot of things in common with so many people on the panel, which is kind of cool. So my grandmother was Native Hawaiian. Uh, God rest her soul. She passed away a few years ago. Um, but I grew up in Northeast Ohio where everything was black and white. And so she and one other woman from Guam were the only uh, women or people of, of Pacific Islander background. So they were the only Asians in our small community. And so... Um, for me, my family is super diverse. And so we like our skin colors and our hair types and textures 
it spans the gamut. I mean, from people who are Caucasian to those who look Caucasian to those who look like there's some sort of mixture like myself and to those who look um, predominantly African-American or predominantly Hawaiian. Right. And so in my in my world, in my little family world, it was everything was accepted, no matter how I wore my hair, whether it was natural like it is now or um, straightened out like it is in, in the um, the ad that we put up for this event. <laughs> so it was really straight. But um, for me, I just as a as a young person, people would just always, especially growing up in Northeast Ohio and everything being black and white, but myself being a mixture of different cultures, people would just always gawk and stare and be like, "Oh, what is she mixed with? She she looked black, but she looked like she mixed with something else. So she her daddy must be white." And I'm like, "No, my dad's part Hawaiian." And uh, yeah, but anyway. So, so I, I felt like I always had to deal with that, and even going to a private school, which was predominantly white, I did always have to deal with that, but I didn't mind. It wasn't until I got to the workforce that I, I started to mind because people would treat me differently based on how my hair was for interviews. So I learned that if I'm going to an interview, and this is, I guess that you can call this code switching with my hair. Um, if I'm going to an interview and I'm going to be interviewed by someone who is um, of European descent or Caucasian, I should probably wear my hair straight. Right. And I've actually like ran experiments with a, a number of different interviews to see if I wear my hair straight versus if I wear my hair like this. It's interesting how the questions shift and change, how body language even towards me shifts and change. So it, it changes and it's sad. And I'm like, man, this is really a thing. Like I get more better or, or, or improved job opportunities when my hair is straight. And when I, I talk with more of a European or more of American dialect, right, when I speak that way. But then if my hair is like this, then it's like, mm, it's like people don't take me seriously in terms of the interview. So definitely I've done what you've done, Bar, which is when I when I go to the interview and when I start many of the, the jobs that I've been in in the past, which are more in the corporate and even federal realm, um, <laughs> I straighten my hair, right? Which is so sad, but it's just like I do that because I'm like, okay, let me just let me, let me show them that I can speak their language. And then after a couple weeks or so, I just wash my hair and then this happens. And then they're like, how did you do that to your hair? And I'm like, this is how I am naturally. Meet me regular me right <laughs> and so like I even had a supervisor one time who um had a problem with once my hair was like this because he interviewed me when my hair was straight and once my hair was was curly like this um he actually in front of a team yeah we were in a team meeting this man said I wish you would put as much effort in your work as you do in all those curls you put in your hair every morning and I said sir first of all first of all this what happened when my hair gets wet Okay, that's what happened. It's just water, water and some gel. Okay, now the color obviously that's different, but the texture. This, this is my hair. He felt so stupid because he literally thought I got up every morning and put every curl in my hair. And then to follow up, I asked him. I was like, "Sir, with all due respect, can you provide me with some concrete examples of where I don't take my work as seriously as my hair?" I'm just, I'm just interested to hear. Face got all red, y'all. But yes, so um, I definitely typically do do that. And if I don't straighten my hair, I'll wear it back. If it's still um, curly like this, I'll wear it back in a tight bun so they can't really tell. Because um, sometimes women are don't like the length of my hair. I find that to be a thing, too, um, or how it looks or whatever. So, yeah, anyway, that's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> so how did, you, how did you address this blatant bias in the workplace? when your uh -huh. manager or whomever called you out in a meeting, what did you do? 
Oh, that's I, I, basically what I just shared with you all. That's exactly how the conversation went. So, so I, I addressed it head on. Yes. But, okay. But speaking but my, of language, my, my would have also been to go to HR. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so this is a thing. In in certain situations, though, in certain situations, HR is not helpful. In that particular situation, I was a contractor in a federal environment. And as a contractor, some people may or may not know, as a contractor, we don't have the same protection as a federal employee would be for HR. Now that I am a federal employee, I I feel more comfortable going to HR, but I've definitely um, gotten blackballed and had some issues for doing the same thing that you're welcome to for doing as a contractor, right, for speaking my mind, for standing up for myself, as Christian had mentioned, some of those same things are viewed as aggressive and negative and me not being a team player. So as a contractor, I had to navigate very carefully um, based on some of the things that that, uh, happened to me, especially with comments regarding my hair. Uh -uh, um, Sorry, did I freeze? You did. And it was oh, getting sorry. good. It was getting good too. I was all into it. <laughs> but yeah, so, so I, I mean, had to. I am very I, interested in maybe you know when we're done just to understand yeah. which federal places you have worked at in the past because I've been a uh-huh. federal staffer and a contractor. So uh-huh. I know that my customer now they have the same protections uh-huh. for contractors as they do for their staff officers. Well, so you know okay, yeah, the, whole, can, the whole premise that. You know, folks can be treated one way or the other because their mm-hmm. staff or their contractor, where I work at least, does mm-hmm. not does not fit. Like yeah, this, where and, I worked at, that was that I was not a thing. And you have to you have to understand too that one that that you don't understand, but I want the audience to understand too that every federal agency is not centered in the DMV area where there's a certain culture here, right? There are federal agencies outside and they develop their outside of this uh, geographic region. They develop their own cultures internally. And so what goes at at your agency may not necessarily be true at another. Right. So we could talk about that offline to more specifics and details. But, yes, I did not feel safe as a federal contractor to be able to defend myself in that moment. Because of trouble, again, I had gotten I into my right here in the Washington metropolitan area that I have been very yeah. fortunate. And you have been blessed because that, that has not been my experience. So I haven't worked anywhere Chris, else. I haven't lived anywhere else. Well, <laughs> yeah. just, oh, also, I, just, I do want to say in terms of the people or, or um, in terms of the young lady who mentioned that she lives in Kentucky, I actually had the pleasure of living in Kentucky for eight months and working there also as a contractor. And so even there, even in that environment, in order for me to be in a leadership role that I was placed in by the governor, um, I, I did feel the need to code switch um, just to be able to to show people I can speak your language. Yes, we can work together to solve outbreaks, for example. So okay. ahead, I think Dr. Christian Martin. has had his hand up for yeah, a minute. I, so. I, I just wanted to – I've worked both in D.C. at the Department of State main building, and then I've worked in um, uh, Roslyn, Virginia. And I also worked in uh, Goldbug, Kentucky, if you know where that is. It's, uh, it's right near the – home of Kentucky Fried Chicken, I worked there, and you're right, I had to switch. I had to, I mean, and it it was inherent, meaning that, like, I didn't think about switching. I just, it did it naturally. And the other thing is, being in the State Department for 15 years as a contractor, when your branch chief will protect you and defend you to a point, 
But then it, when he starts getting ready to retire, his powers tend to dwindle and you don't get that protection anymore. So I ended up getting our contract, unfortunately, bellied up after 15 years. And so I was out of a job right out of, I mean, and I was, I was miserable for a year because I had a specialized skill set specific for the State Department. Now, state governments, I've worked with them before. That's a little different. County governments, local city governments, all different. But, yeah, no government agency is the same way. Uh, and so, Rosa, again, I, I, I envy you and I, I applaud you. I do. So I'm, I'm about to move in with Rosa and follow her every day. So I can have a life worth living. Okay, me too. Because the drama I've been through and code switching has kind of helped me navigate. I'm like, I'd rather just not have to do it anymore. Okay. Or not feel the need to have to do it anymore. I'm moving in, Rosa. I'm moving uh, in. And I'm lucky. I live in a create. I work in a creative field. I pretty much get to rock it like I want to rock it most of the time since I work in television and film. But I need, I still have some issues. Um, I do have a question. So for those of us that um, have code switch or that potentially, you know, take our friend to the Christmas party or an event at work and we inadvertently or subconsciously tell them, well, not even subconsciously, we tell them they need to act a certain way or be, you know, when you come do this or don't do this, thinking we're just giving them a leg up, but at the same time, we're asking them to alter who they are, um, has code switching affected anyone in your immediate circle, like your friends and your family, and caused somebody to want to distance themselves from you because they're like, you're not the same when you're with me, when you are with these people or this job? So I had that, well, I didn't personally have the experience. My daughter did. I have a 17-year-old, and she has a friend from middle school. And I was like, hey, how come you don't talk to this person anymore? And she was like, he's fake. I said, what do you mean? What's going on? She was like, he acts all different when he's around other people. And it's just fake. He's not even like that. Blah, 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 blah. So the children see it. And what I would say for young people, and it's, it was not in different, um, it was in different cultural environments. So all of the children with whom he was communicating were all black, but some were from the hood, maybe. And then others were of a more proper, you know, they had a different upbringing. So he chose to change his vernacular and how he navigated in those two different spaces instead of just being that one part, right? right being Because you want to be accepted. And I think that's what I heard from at least three of you all, that it was about growing up in this level of acceptance that you had to figure out how to navigate in these different spaces versus being able to show up even in your formative years as who you are and being able to fit in whatever that, you know, whatever that means for you. Um, I've been fortunate with my children. They don't care. And part of it's because their mama don't care. Like, I don't you don't have to be my friend. Like we not, uh uh-uh. I I was the I was the group. I was my whole group. Like I had six friends in high school that I'm still friends with to this day. And I could care less about anybody else. And my daughter was the same way. It was this group of people just follow her around like little ducklings. And I was like, you know, those are your folks. And she was like, I don't know why they're talking to me. I don't know why whatever, you know. And my son would isolate himself from whatever. 
He played sports. He did whatever. He had football friends. He had baseball friends. He had swimming friends. He had track friends. But at the end of the day, he really didn't care. He fit in in his own space where he wanted to be. And it's just a lovely thing to see with them that they can just be whoever they are. My son is a soon to be 21 year old who loves anime. How many black boys that love anime in DC? Right? So, you know, he just has there's, the a, there's a whole lot of them in Atlanta. What well, I said, <laughs> I don't, I don't. And, and is not ashamed of it. He would walk around with like a Captain America backpack. He had a Yogi, um, a Pokemon backpack and just, just, just him, right? In high school. Like, and he's just like, oh, this is just me. I just do what I want. I'm just comfortable in my skin. And in my space. And I think for our young people, because I saw a question about what we tell our young people, you have to be comfortable with who you are. And if we're not raising our children to be comfortable with who they are, then they're going to go through these things growing up, trying to fit in and figure out who, who where they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be with. But you just have to be comfortable in your skin. That's true. Um, Bisha, I- Oh, I'm sorry. I, I wanted, I didn't mean to interrupt Bisha, but Rosa, I totally agree with you. I think for me, now that I've reached a major, uh, age milestone, I, I am comfortable with who I am. You, you get what you get. And, you know, if I subconsciously am code switching, that's because I, as any animal or anything that's instinctive, you just do it because, you know, it, it's not like I think about it and then do it. It just comes out. Um, it's like learning a dance move. It's like learning, you know, how to to navigate. So I have I don't have any kids, but I have a lot of niece and nephews and many of them are biracial. I have a niece and nephew who's half black, no, quarter black, quarter white, half Korean. So she's got to figure out her identity, which is even tougher compared to what I what I experienced. So I'm hoping she's able to be genuine and understand that being genuine is is all that matters. Be yourself. Um, one other thing that I want to just piggyback off of Latoya, what I had back growing up, okay, you guys didn't see my hair, but my hair, I used to have very kinked hair because I was a, one of the Asian guys that had very curly hair. Mm-hmm. And I always had a hard time trying to make it straight. And I didn't, and I, you know, even I tried to pay my mom, say, Mom, can you please take me to a place that can straighten my hair? You know, and then I had my black friends tell me, oh, you can go down to this, Barbie, they'll use, you know, lie and stuff and they'll straighten it right out for you. And I'm like, what? Okay. And I didn't go that far, but I was like, all right, I gotta, I've gotta sort of adapt to what people want in the workplace. Like you said, you know, I remember starting out in sales and they're like, your hair has gotta be, you gotta either get a buzz cut or you need to straighten it. And I was like, really? Why? It's like, it's not, it's not professional looking was the, the biggest terminology that would, they would always say to me. So I just wanted to let you know I had a harder time as well. And then I, when I grew my hair out and I had a mullet, so again, this is going to date me, in Southern Virginia, that was acceptable amongst the white establishments that I worked at, which is so crazy. So, again, I understand the trials and tribulations with managing hair. So mm-hmm. Sorry, Fiducia, okay. I, I didn't mean to interrupt.
That's all right. We, we're having a real good conversation. You guys are speaking from the heart. What I want to ask Visha, though, is because you just have such a strong presence, and I love it, just even looking on the screen. And um, I can see you would be someone that you come in the room, I'll say, she has something to say. Let me listen. Let me follow her. Since you walk to the beat of your own drum and you advocate for so many people, um, as we stated before, because um, as Rosa said, as a as a mentor or somebody that's living life, what would you recommend for people who are thinking about trying to navigate their life and, and considering code switching or not code switching because you don't do it? So did you were you born this way? Did you did something happen for you to say, I'm not going to be that person? What would be your advice or your guidelines for people that want to hold on to their individuality and navigate this world, especially if a price tag or promotion or some type of growth opportunity is in front of them if they do assimilate? Um, so. What I would tell somebody is kind of what Rosa said, right? So to just be yourself. But at the end of the day, how anybody, whether they're corporate, because I didn't talk cash money to corporate several times, you know, administrators and everything, and I wish they would. Um, but that's it, right? So you have to know your worth. And you have to know that if your mother did not speak to you like that, then these people up in corporate America or wherever does not get the privilege to talk to you any kind of way. Your mama didn't talk to you. Your grandma didn't talk to you or whoever raised you did not talk to you. So don't put so much influence on. I need this job because if they're going to disrespect you, if they're going to disrespect you, when you're a little man on the totem pole, think about what they would do to you if you became more elevated in corporate America. You know, yeah, they want to rub shoulders, but like it was mentioned before, it's that backhanded acceptance. Or, oh, yeah, I remember when she was this and I remember when she was that, you know, and now she's up here. And, and then they want to say all kind of things about you from when you was, you know, a little man on the totem pole. But yeah, I mean, like, that's my thing It's just you can't let people talk to you any kind of way um, and just to be yourself. But to give a little context about things, um, my father's military. So my, my my parents are Hawaiian, Portuguese. My father's Portuguese. My mother's Hawaiian, Okinawan. Um, and so they were born and raised. I come from an extremely large family. Uh, there's over 100 of us. So. I didn't grow up in Hawaii. My dad was military, so I traveled all over the world. Um, and so the majority of my friends are black. It's always been like that. Not to say that I don't have white friends because I have plenty of white friends, but the majority of my friends are black. Um, and so through all of my education, you know, I did um, a minor in African-American studies and started to understand, like, why I feel so connected to the African culture, you know, or African-American culture is because you know, Polynesians are African um, <clears throat> innately 60,000 years ago. And so that's when my understanding became like, oh, OK, not only that, but I was also raised by. So I've been here in Kentucky with my father, my biological mother's back home. 
Um, but I was pretty much raised by my father and two black women who took me in as their own. And they taught me, I wish you would. That's what I was taught. And so ever since then, I've just always had that, you know, that persona that's like, okay, let me hear what you have to say. But as soon as you get real disrespectful, I got something for you. And I'm going to say it so eloquently that you're going to be like, wow, I didn't even know you. I didn't even know that came, that could come out of your mouth like that. Because they're so used to me just being, you know, just being who I am. Like Rosa said, you just, but I'm like that. I'm blunt. I say what I need to say. There's no secret feelings. If you know that I like you, you know that I like you. If you know I don't like you, then you know I don't like you. And I don't hesitate to tell you I don't like you. Um, okay. But yeah, I just, so what, what I tell people is just to be yourself and to allow space um, for authenticity and to just know your worth, just know who you are, know where you came from, know why you came from there. And a lot of stuff that I think about, too, because I've worked in psych for so long, is to find some understanding of why we do the things that we do. And so I, that's why I'm so, when we talk about, like I said in the beginning, you know, when we think about what code switching is, and I said it has access to systems of white supremacy, we are so ingrained with systems of white supremacy in America that it's ridiculous. We don't even know it. Um, and so I think code switching has a lot to do with the access that black, brown and um, indigenous people have to deal with um, or not deal with if they choose not to. Again, it's that binary for me. I don't live in that binary. So I can't speak from a black person's perspective. I can't speak from a white person's perspective. I can only speak from mine. Understood. So that takes me to Dedrin, Um because which I love that you said that you didn't get a chance to even hide. You didn't get a chance to really do the code switching. So from the standpoint of an unapologetically black man walking in a room and you have to be who you are because we've already placed thoughts and expectations on you, what would your advice be to someone hoping to maintain their individuality? And at the same time, as I asked Visha, if something's in ahead of you like a promotion or you can get this job if you start speaking like this or you can get this position if you cut your hair what is your advice to someone who is contemplating those moves to get ahead uh, that's a great question i think it 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 goes to just something else that Visha said of knowing your worth but not only the worth of yourself but the worth of the people who work around you who will come behind you and 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 what you can gain or, you know, what's the elevation to, to where you're trying to get. Um, you know, I, I think of someone of, say, Obama, right? So we heard a lot about him co-switching, you know, and the idea of where he had to get to get to the presidency. I'm sure, you know, at some point in some time that he had to have some type of, you know, some type of moment of truth like this. Um, but I, I think also just for someone like myself, uh, I think that, it's a it's it's a sense of if I've got to do this to work with you to be with you, then you're not deserving of my time and talent. And it's something that we have to have some type of accord. We have to have some type of conversation or I have to find something else to do. And I've been there. I mean, in my corporate life, um, that there was a, it's, it, to a point you get to a point of stratification where 
especially as, just frankly speaking, as, as a black man or as a, uh, any person that is trying to work in corporate America, you're probably going to be one of, right? You're, it's, you're going to be, you're going to find yourself that you're the one. And a lot of times you're reminded that you're the one, no matter how much, no matter if it says vice president, if it says president, it says COO, you're going to be reminded that you're, you're the one. And whenever it's a, any type of initiative, any type of program, any type of process, they point at you and say, see, there's our one. And I've had mentors that have been, have made that choice and, and have told me that's what it is, right? You know, there's a cost to get to this other side. Then it's something that whether or not you can sleep with that at night, you know, some people can sleep with a pile of money and some success and some nice cars and that's what they want. But some people need a good night's sleep and I need a good night's sleep. And um, my thing is, Again, um, all corporate structures not like that, but it's the idea that a majority of it is. And for you to give of yourself, you should be giving value through your authenticity and to who you are from your culture and your perspective. That should be seen as an asset, not as a liability. So if you're going to a place that you're going to put your time, especially from a corporate standpoint, because that's the whole benefit of a corporate opportunity, right? Is you're trading your time for a, a fixed item at the end of that time. You put in 30 years for that gold watch, right? That's how I was born and, and that's how I was raised to that. But when I seen all these people do all these things, they still don't get their gold watch, right? You, they'll, 28 years in, they'll cut you right on off and you'll be gone. You'll get your part and you have to ask yourself, was it worth it? And I feel like that's the part. I see a lot of empowerment, particularly in younger people now that already come up and, you know, come to corporate with this understanding and this interpretation of this is who I am. And I think that corporate America is realizing to retain talent, to grow and develop. And at the end of the day, make money that they have to break down this this idea of we're going to that we have to have something be corporate. Right. I remember remember these same things about doctors that had uh, tattoos. Right. It seemed like that was something when I was vaguely contemplating medical school and, and there was no way I was going to do it. But the idea of people saying like they had to cover their sleeves and things to go to go to class. And this idea of like that doesn't in no way, shape or form affect your ability to, you know, to perform. Like if you were on, a, you know, if you were on a uh, um, your your deathbed, you wouldn't say, give me the doctor with no tattoos, right? You say, give me the best doctor, right? You wouldn't ask these other points, these other questions. But we see in a corporate standpoint, it's it's just so ingrained and so ingratiated that there's this standard. Um, there's this unwritten contract or agreement that if you talk to me this way, you act this way, you dress this way, then you're going to get something for it. And it's just a ruse at the end of the day. Um, we all know it is, but it's the idea that we don't, we don't, we want to know what's behind door number two. And it's the idea of watch, watch the valuation of turning that doorknob. And for me, as best as I can, and again, my thing is if it's, if it's good for me, it's got to be great for somebody else. And if it's not great for me and my people and the folks that I want to represent, then it's, it's just a no thank you and just have to find something else. All right. Very well said. I mean, you brought up a point that I wanted to get to next. Um, I've talked to a few people who actively code switch. Um, we're just going to go ahead and give it a tag. And they're so taxed. They're so tired. And the, the point that you brought up about coming home and being able to sleep 
and be at peace and coming home and it's a sanctuary is a very important point because what they are losing and the price they're paying to try to assimilate is really causing them harm, making them sick, making them angry or mistreat the people in their lives that really matter as they continually try to be this other person for these other people for the peanut gallery. So, you know, um, I wanted to know, do you guys know someone like that? Um, do you know someone who does need some coping mechanisms to either find some balance and in, in code switching if they do it and letting that go and, and getting relaxed? And or if you know someone who needs help with that and if you do, you know, can will you be there for them or does it annoy you that they are allowing themselves to be in this predicament? I think I'm I'm always there for people um, to help them cope in their spaces. Um, like I said, an associate of mine was telling me about her daughter. <clears throat> so it's like what I, all I can do is offer my advice. Right. I'm not in that space with her um, and understanding what her mom is telling her at home. Like, what are you telling her to help her deal with the fact that she feels like she has to be somebody that she's not in order to fit in at school. Um, and then for adults in the workplace, I definitely advocate for my coworkers. Like that's just, that's just how it is. My thing is if, if one person can't get away with doing something, then nobody can get away with doing that, that same thing. And that's just how I approach a lot of things in life. Like we all have to be treated equally. We all have to be treated fairly. And you call those things out when they occur. So, you know, I've had to learn over the years how to temper how I call things out. Right. So it's the thing of I can pencil whip you to death. I can I can send an email that'll make you cry. You'd be like, Rosa cussed at me. No, I didn't. Mm-mm, didn't even raise my voice. But it's the way that you get your point across that people understand you're not to be played with. You're not going to play with me. You're not going to play with people on my team. This is what we're not going to accept or deal with. So with people, people have to be open to wanting to do something different. And it's all about people feeling comfortable and not afraid that if they speak up, that some sort of retaliation is going to happen because whether it happens to us in the workplace, when we deal in black and white, it happens any place when you're dealing with any people at all, right? So folks do it to each other within their own cultures. They do it across color lines. So, you know, I think the whole thing with code switching is not authentic to black and white and brown. and all. It's just authentic to people trying to survive in the different spaces that they're put in. So I I am definitely open and available to help folks navigate their spaces and to be as comfortable as possible. I don't think anybody should come home at the end of the day and just be exhausted from interacting with folks unless they're just truly introverts. Right. So (laughs) some people that are introverts that just it sucks their energy to deal with people, period. But to say, oh, I just couldn't be me. I'm tired of dealing with these folks. It's that, you know, you should never come home feeling like that. Awesome. Like with me, after doing this research and after really diving down into what code switching is and the many embodiments of code switching, I'm going to be 
a little bit more sensitive and not as knee-jerk going forward. Because some people I would be at work like, you know, F what they talking about. They fake as hell. You know, I ain't thinking about them. They just switch it up. I didn't call it code switching back then. I was just like, they just switching it up. They just kiss it. Ah. So, but now, you know, I understand it's a struggle. It's a struggle for people. And Christian, I love your story because you're like, I'm Korean, but I was raised with all these other cultures and not even my own. So there's no need for me to come in and be like, oh, you know, forget Christian. He, he faking the funk. But I know we're wrapping up. Um, I don't want Moana and Denny to get us. Oh, Chris, you want to say one last thing before we wrap one last, up? Yeah, well, one last thing. The, um, you know, the problem, and you're in, you're in film and video, uh, industry as well. We've seen code switching thrown at us. If you want some examples, Will Smith, Prince of Bel Air, uh, the Huxtables, you've seen code switching. Even Asians have done that too in a lot of the television shows. Uh, I remember one movie. This is going to date me. Do you guys remember a movie called The Last Dragon with Ty Mok and uh, Show Nuff? Again, some people call it cultural appropriation because it was Bruce Leroy trying to be more Asian. But again, there are these lines that I think over time, because I'm a, I'm a movie guy and I'm a film guy, I feel like we've been thrown code switching at us. What is acceptable? Is a, you know, is a, um, uh, what is it, um, uh, what's the other one? Family Matters, you know, with, is there other code switching stereotypes that we need to be or embrace? And that's what can be problematic for me. When you see these things in film, video, TV, right? And then kids learn that. Sometimes kids sort of appropriate it or, or feel connected to that. And that's a bad message sometimes. And that can be dangerous. So again, I don't want to go into the, that, that rabbit hole about cultural appropriation, but I will say that we see code switching happening on television and movies and stuff. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you. I mean, that's a good point. But we want to let everybody know where they can find you before we wrap up because we went a little bit over our time. But I didn't want to stop because you guys was dropping knowledge and science and I'm learning and y'all teaching and I'm feeling all good. So um, I had to get shut down by Moana and Dana. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with you, Visha. Where can they find you? How can they stay in contact or how can they follow your greatness? My Twitter handle is just what my name is here without the V. So it's Souza at Twitter.com, I guess. Um, and then my Facebook is a little bit more private, but you can find me at Souza on Facebook as well. Awesome. And Dedra? Thank you for having me. Pleasure, y'all. Thank you so much. Um, for me, um, you can find me just on Facebook as Dejan Sneed and uh, follow my work at Subsume Media, uh, at Subsume Life. And I appreciate it again. Thank you all so much. Look at that voice, everybody. Follow that voice, too. All right, Latoya. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I keep having problems with my mute button. But yes, Dedrin, the voice is everything. I, I did remember seeing some comments come up talk, talking about your voice too in the chat. <laughs> but um, uh, you all, if, if anybody wants to follow me, you can follow me at Royalty Cosplay. That's all one word on Instagram, and that's really where I put all my cosplay and nerd stuff. So <laughs> that's it. All right, awesome. And my spiritual sister Rosa. <laughs> Um, I'm on Facebook at um, Rosa Ayers Singletary. 
though my social media is more private. Um, I just do stuff about my kids and updates and stuff like that. Um, at this point, but if someone wants to hit me up or DM me, they can. And on Instagram, I'm at raising scholar athletes. So, um, that's, that's me. All and right, Moana always, always knows how to get in contact with me as well. If someone really wants to get in contact with me. Awesome. Christian? Um, I am not a Snapchat or TikTok person, but I am on Twitter and, um, Instagram. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember, we used to spell Christmas Xmas. So my, my Twitter and Instagram are X-I-A-N. So Christian, get it? O-H. At, so you can find it on Twitter and, uh, Instagram. And then, um, obviously, uh, if you want to find out more about my film festivals, DC Shorts, DC APA Film, you can look those up. I'm on Facebook as Christian O, spelled the way you see it here. And, um, I also manage a lot of musical talent. What is it? A Korean American adoptee, an African American girl who sings in three languages, including Korean. So definitely, if you want to connect, let me know. And uh, happy to have to be happy to be here. And Fox, I mean, uh, Fox, thank you for everything that you've done today for us. So happy. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Like when I saw you guys and I read your bios, I was like, I want to hang with each person. Um, luckily, I know Latoya and Dedrin already. They stuck with me, so I don't know if they can shake me. They never can. But um, I would love to meet the rest of you in person. And for me, you can find me on all social media at Bar Fox. That's two R's, two X's. And we are going to be out, guys. Well, this was a wonderful conversation, and I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Mahalo. Bye.